0: right. Oh, you may have a seat. I'm so glad we went through March wellness a couple of months ago because these worship sessions are getting more and more of a workout. I'm exhausted when I get up here. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Just so glad to be with you. Overlake, I love you. You are such a beautiful church. I love being on this journey with you. Um, If you would, grab your notes out of your handout, and you'll see that we are continuing this series called Blessing My City. Uh, It's important to know that sometimes we bless our city, and sometimes our city blesses us. Like, this weekend has been beautiful, right? This is just gorgeous. So if you've been out at the waterfront, or if you've been on the Sammamish River Trail, or if you've been at any of the parks throwing a frisbee, playing with a dog, maybe not your dog, even better if it's not your dog, like, Uh, If that's been you, then you know that we live in a beautiful, beautiful place. Very, very blessed to be surrounded by mountains and the lakes and just the beauty of the Northwest. For those of you watching online, take my word for it. When it's beautiful, there is no place more beautiful, right? I thank God for that. Yeah, absolutely. 19 days a year, we have this kind of beauty. And it's it's wonderful. Uh, I, I also want you to know that we have been journeying with this concept from the Bible, which gives us our marching orders, our, our job description, if you will. And it's from Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine, verse seven. And we've been going over this verse kind of again and again, and, and we even made these key tags. I hope you grab a key tag, put it on your keys. In fact, uh, uh, my buddy Norm right here, he's got his key tag on his key, and it's Jeremiah 29.7, a reminder for us to do what this verse says. So I want to start with that. Here you go, buddy. Let me give you your keys back. All right. Jeremiah 29.7 says, work for the good of the city where I've taken you as captives, and pray to the Lord for that city. When it prospers, you will also prosper. All right, so, so take a look at that, kind of mull it over, and just realize, congratulations, Overlake, you now know your job description. That is what God is calling us to do. He wants us to go right into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into the the cities that he has planted us in, and he wants us to work for its welfare. He wants us to labor on behalf of those that we're surrounded by, those with whom we have influence. He wants us to pray for our parishes, for our neighborhoods, and, and, and then look at this. It's not an unpaid internship. No, no, there's actually this huge benefits package. He says, when it prospers, you will also prosper. In its welfare is your welfare and my welfare. So that's kind of what we're trying to get our arms around during this series. It's been a two-year focus. There's a, a campaign associated with it. We're very, very excited about all that God is doing. And what I want to do today is I want to take a look at Jesus. And for those of you who are maybe just checking out Overlake, you're just checking out this whole church thing maybe uh, for the first time, you need to know that we do look to Jesus. We want to look at what it is that he taught, and we wanna look at how it is that he lived. Because we believe that there is something unique and special about Jesus, that he is the anointed one of God, that he was sent by God, that, that he's this kind of a, the visible picture of what the invisible God is like. So we're always looking to Jesus here at Overlake. And so I, I want to take a look at a passage that he you know, is, is involved in and, and what you maybe need to know if you don't is that Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life as a carpenter, that he was, uh, actually, that's probably not true, because he was a little baby at one point. I don't think he was a carpenter at that point. But when he was able to, he joined his father in his father's carpenter shop. He spent up to age 30 working in that, probably providing for his family in that, in that regard, Then he started an earthly ministry that lasted for three years, and most of what we know about Jesus comes from that three-year period. So most of the stuff we read in the Gospels and the good news about Jesus, it all comes from just a three-year window into his life, and then that window ends with the crucifixion. He died on the cross Right? nailed to that cross. Uh, it, was an, it was an absolute farce of a trial. He was a completely innocent man, and trumped up charges. It was a religious execution. He was a religious martyr. And then three days later, he rose again from the, the grave, and that's what we celebrate at Easter. So that's the story of Jesus. What we want to do is we want to look at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. We want to look at the, the moment, if you will, the instant that his earthly ministry was inaugurated, because it's really quite special. He goes into a synagogue, into a a Jewish place of worship, is filled with people, and he opens up the Jewish scriptures, what we have as the Old Testament. And he goes to one of the prophets of God named Isaiah, and he begins to read a passage of scripture, and this passage of scripture talks about the Messiah, The the chosen one of God, the anointed one. And and the Jewish people, they all knew that Messiah was going to come, that God was going to send his chosen one. And and so they were all on the lookout for this. And there was actually kind of a job description for Messiah. That's what Jesus goes to. And so this is what we read in Luke 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Look at this. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So you take a look at this, and and you realize that what he's doing is he is reading the, the components of the job for Messiah. This is the job description. If you're a fireman, you know, fireman does these things. This is the role description for a fireman. If you're a software developer, this is the role description. This is what you'll do as a software developer. If you're a writer, this is what a writer needs to do and be comfortable with. If you're Messiah, here it is for you. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus reads what it is. This is what Messiah does. And Jesus says, and today you're seeing this fulfilled. So begs the question, well, what is it? If you're filling in the blanks, the first one, Jesus' job description, the Messiah, will proclaim good news. There will be this proclamation, this preaching, this announcement, this, uh, the, the calling forth verbally of a reality that will follow, and, and, and it's good news. It's not bad. It's not mediocre. It's very, very good, And then who is the good news for? Friends, it's for everybody. And this is what makes Jesus absolutely unique. The good news of God's love is for everybody. They all are included from Jerusalem to Judea, from Samaria to Seattle, from Bellevue to Baltimore, right? There is this incredibly encompassing reality of the good news of God's love. And specifically, The job description includes the poor, right? The poor are having the good news of God's love and God's kingdom proclaimed to them. Why is that? Here it is. It's because those who had been previously on the outside are now expressly included in. It was always assumed that the rich were enjoying God's love and God's good favor. They had the good life, but the Bible makes it clear that God's love is for those who thought, no way it's for me. The Bible makes it clear that, that God's love is for those who thought, you know, I must have been passed over. I must be in God's doghouse And no, 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 the good news of God's love is proclaimed to the poor and to the disenfranchised and to those on the margins, to the poor in spirit, Matthew says. And he goes on, it's not just the, the poor that are included, but freedom for those who are in prison. That's a part of the proclamation, those who are in bondage. And then proclaiming the time of God's favor is now. If you don't know what favor is, it's simply that undeserved grace that God has for us. We don't deserve it, but God's favor is poured out on his people. That's why it's good news, the good news for everybody. And this is what Jesus is beginning with. He's beginning with that proclamation. That's his job. The second thing we see, it's not just the proclamation of good news, but Jesus, the Messiah, is called to be the good news, to embody good news. He, he, he's not just talking a good game of God's goodness, he's being God's goodness in their midst. And so, he goes on, he talks about the, the, the sight for the blind, and if you know the ministry of Jesus, you know these are literal, not metaphorical realities, that those literally who could not see, Jesus restores their sight, the Messiah will come and help that happen physically, but also figuratively, that those of us who have no vision, we can't see the road ahead, those of us who are stumbling around in the dark, Messiah will come and provide sight for us. The second thing we see is that those who are under oppression will enjoy justice. Those who are in bondage will enjoy freedom. And that's, again, what Jesus comes to do. That as Messiah, Jesus comes and he, he sets people free. Those who are harassed or demonized, they are free. Those who are oppressed by, by maybe somebody, injustice, the system that's holding them down. Jesus brings liberty. That Those who are even lame, whose, whose very limbs are dysfunctional, non-functional, suddenly have new strength and ability to move. This is what Jesus comes to do, right? It's one thing to talk a good game. And Jesus certainly could talk a good game. He was the best proclaimer of good news the world has ever seen. I mean, you have to think about this is in the days before recording, you know, video. Nobody's, Nobody's got a tape recorder next to Jesus. And yet the things that he said would go deep in their hearts and they would remember it for the rest of their lives. No teacher was like that. So he was the best teacher and the best proclaimer, and that was absolutely a part of his job description, but it would have been empty and impotent if he wasn't also the embodiment of good news. There was this power that associated with Messiah, and he was able to bring into reality what he was proclaiming. And this is just a beautiful picture of the good news of God's love, the year of God's favor, the time. Is now. And Jesus reads that passage. And then he sits down. And all of the eyes in the room are fastened on him. Isn't that an awesome word? They're buttoned to him. They're looking right at him. And they are amazed. Everyone's amazed at him. And they can't believe the gracious words that are flowing from him. By the way, they know Jesus. They've known him since he was a boy. This is his hometown he grew up in. They knew his dad. They knew his family. They knew his trade. So they are seeing this guy. They're amazed. They're so proud of him. And they realize, this is amazing. I can't believe. If they had text, they'd be like, Jesus is the bomb. And by the bomb, I mean Messiah, you know? If they had emojis, they'd be like starry-eyed emojis, you know, happy. Bing, 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 send, send, send. All over the room, you know? Like they, 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 it just was such a big deal what was happening as Jesus said, this job description, it's mine. This idea of Messiah, I'm just going to own this because this is who I am. And I do want you to know that this is not where the passage ends and it's not where the earthly ministry of Jesus ends. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it is absolutely where it begins. So we need to get our minds around that. This is where the whole thing starts. And, And as I was processing that truth, a question came to my mind this week in my quiet time. And the question is, why does the enemy of God want to take Jesus out? And some of you are here, and maybe even the idea of the enemy of God, personified evil, You have a really difficult time with it. You're not even sure what you believe about Bible, about God, and so I'm talking about now the devil, and you're thinking of a, a dude with horns and a pitchfork, and he's in charge of the torture chambers in hell, and you can't go there, and that's okay. I don't believe in that person either. But I do want you to imagine with me for a moment, just for the sake of just this mental exercise assuming, right, because obviously the Bible does talk about Satan, does talk about the enemy of God, kind of it's, it's a part of the whole deal. It's not an obscure line. It's from, you know, first book to last book kind of a deal. I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm just telling you, I'm not like going nutty on this one. This is sort of, you got to get your mind there at some point, but that's not the point. The point is, for the sake of this mental exercise, assuming if there was an enemy of God, why would he want to take Jesus out? Because he so clearly does want to take Jesus out. As you kind of wrestle with motive for a moment, understand that the picture we have in the scripture is that the enemy of God hates God. The enemy of God hates anything God has made that is good. The enemy wants to destroy it. But the enemy of God especially hates people. Because people are made in the image of God, and God loves people within a special kind of love. There's this unique relationship between God and people that doesn't exist in all the rest of creation. And and so the enemy seeking, right, to hate people and to hate God, and now Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus is the embodiment of God in a human form. Jesus came with a specific purpose that we just read about, that Jesus is going to, what, help people and serve people and save people? And I hate people, he's saying. And so I want to take Jesus out of the equation, right? So we're getting into now the motive of the enemy. So what then, if that's the motive, what's his strategy? What's the enemy's strategy to derail Jesus? Really simple, two things. The first thing that the enemy tries to do to Jesus is tempt him, because if he can tempt Jesus and he can get Jesus falling into temptation, then he can derail Jesus' mission, get him sidetracked, get him off course. And the second thing that the enemy is going to do is he's going to make people really, really difficult to love. (laughs) He's going to up the difficulty level, all right? And for for those of you who play Halo, you know that there are four levels of difficulty on Halo. There is easy, normal, heroic, and legendary. And Jesus had to do life on legendary. Okay, that was the level of difficulty that Jesus had to do. And I just uh, want to tell you right off the bat that this was a supernatural reality that Jesus had to deal with on earth how do I know that this is a supernatural reality? Well, let's go back to the passage we were just in in Luke chapter 4. And I want to show you where the passage ends. Remember where it begins. Everyone in the entire church loving on Jesus, thinking he's amazing, hanging on every word that drops from his gracious lips like... Red hook. Like, he is amazingly uh, popular in this moment, and they are loving him and texting him. Remember the emoji with the starry eyes? Like, that's what's happening, and at the end of the passage, this is what it says. It says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. I have had some bad sermons in my ministry. (laughs) There have been times when I have said things that have not made you maybe happy, that have not made me perhaps popular. There, There might have even been, and I don't know this, I've been in ministry for 25 years, but maybe there was time when I gave a message when one or two of the people in the room wanted me dead. But never have I had a day when the entire population rose up, drove me outside of the building and to some remote wooded area in order to end my life because that was such a distressing message. Are you following me? That would have been a bad day in ministry if that happened, right? And I want you to see what does it take for an entire group of people to go from this is the best effort I am fastened to this guy. I can't turn away. It's so good. His words are gracious. He is Messiah. It's beautiful. Four and a half minutes later, all of those same people are charging outside with him to a cliff to throw him off the cliff, to dash him against the rocks at the bottom of the cliff so that whatever he is and the presence that he brings will no longer be interfering with me. That's supernatural. That's not a natural ebb and flow of how public speaking works. <laughs> Are you following me? Like the, and again, it's, it's so amazing because if you can look to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the same thing happens again. Here at the very beginning, the first day, the first message he gives in his earthly ministry, people want to kill him. And guess what? They end up doing it. And so what does Jesus do? Even when he's stretched out on a cross and there are Roman spikes driven through his hands, he has a gash in his side and a crown of thorns thrust down in his head. He looks at the crowd who did it to him and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He knows that something's going on behind the scenes. Are you following me? Now, I want to make this discussion really personal. It's important for us to get personal into what's going on in the scriptures. we got to make it kind of land in our lives. So the question, why does the enemy of God want to take us out? Why does he want to derail our lives? And again, why why is it even an important conversation for us to have, for us to do this mental exercise? Because it's a little bit like in in sports. When when a team is going to play another team, what do they do? They watch game films. And they watch game films so that they can see what are the strategies and what are the plays that the other team runs so that I can best know how to beat them. Does this make sense? So we need to know what are the schemes and what are the plays and what are the strategies of the enemy so we can best know how to beat him. And if you're filling in the blanks, really, really simply, the enemy of God, in order to derail your life, in order to derail mine, there are a couple of things. It's real similar to how he approached Jesus. Number one, we are going to experience temptation. It's going to happen. In fact, the Bible tells us this is common to us as humans. We will experience temptation, and the temptation that we will experience, it will be for the same motive that Jesus experienced temptation. See, God loves you. God absolutely loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be in relationship with him, not only now, but for eternity. I want you to know that from God's end of the equation, it's settled. His love is firm for you. Satan, the enemy, cannot mess that up anymore. But what he can do is he can make you ineffective at your job description. What he can do is he can tempt you in such a way that you will become completely ineffective for the work that God is now calling you to be a part of. And again, what's that? Jeremiah 29, 7, right? That, that wherever we are, we're, we're to view our role as ambassadors, missionaries there, that we are the pastors of the neighborhood and the parish that we're in so that we can care for them and pray for them and serve them so that they might see these good deeds and, and give glory to God in heaven. That's the, 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 the job description that we have. But the temptations are going to come. So let me just talk a, a, about a few the temptation to gossip and to put others down. Why would he do that? Well, because what we want to do, the job description is that we would care for and build others up. So what's the temptation going to be? No, no, let's, let's nitpick and let's gossip, let's slander. Let's get other people involved in that. Why? So that people will be run down. Why? Because the enemy hates people. And he doesn't want you to be effective in your job. So he's going to try to derail you. Another temptation, minimize our sins and amplify other people's sins. So we give ourselves a whole wide berth of grace, but you know what? Somebody else crosses the line just a little bit, and we are quick to condemn and quick to judge. Why would Satan do this? So that we're not caring for them. Our heart's not breaking for them. We want to stand in, in the job of judge and condemner, right? Because he hates people, and he doesn't want us to be effective in our job another temptation to stay shallow and to be committed to binge watching Netflix and again nothing wrong with a, a good television show that you and your spouse might enjoy together but the but the priority right if we are if we fill our lives with things that are rather empty and rather fruitless then we don't have time in our lives to care for and to serve and to know, invest in relationship, which really, that, that's what takes time. So that's why, I, the t- and, and there are many more. We could go through a long list of temptations, but I want you to see what it is that the enemy's trying to do. He knows he has lost you to heaven. But what he wants to do is make you ineffective at your job, found in Jeremiah 29.7. If he can make you busy... If he can make you preoccupied, if he can make you speed in and out of your neighborhood every day without ever pausing to consider how God loves your neighbors, how God loves your community, how he loves your city, if you're never thinking about them, if you're never praying for them, if you're going to miss the job description, then who is happy? It's the enemy. And the next thing that he's going to do, not only will temptation come, but we are going to find some people harder to love. Some people are harder to love. And this is going to be a supernatural reality. Again, the the commitment then that we try to make is we want to walk in the way of Jesus so that even when people are harder to love, we keep pressing in, we keep leaning in, we keep loving with that intensity. You know, when Jesus talks about this, he gives us a heads up that some people will be harder to love than others. In fact, he kind of even says it in a few ways. He says, look, you love your friends and you love your family members. You love those who are kind of easy for you to love. He says, what reward are you gonna get for that? Probably not much because you're already experiencing reward in that it's easy to love. They love you, you love them. It's all wonderful. He says, but sometimes it gets hard and I'm calling you to love your enemy. I'm calling you to love the, the Roman guard who is in charge—they're the oppressors in this, uh, you know, the first century there in, in Jerusalem. He's saying, I, "I want you to love the—I want you to love the people that are most difficult for you to love," and he set us a model for that too. And so, what might that look like in our lives? You know, the, the idea of talking about serving our neighbors—it's all maybe nice and fun. It's rosy. It's a little hippie-ish. You know, ooh, flowers, peace, love. You know. But then if you start engaging your neighbor and you realize your neighbor actually has tangible needs, and you start wading in, and, and then you realize that they, they kind of want you to help meet some of those tangible needs, and that's a little bit of a hassle, and you're like, ooh, ah, this is kind of messy. I, I want to withdraw. I want to isolate from that. We know that in all of our communities that, that substance abuse, alcohol abuse, it's a reality and it's difficult to know how do we engage if, if we sense somebody struggling or if, we, like, we, we don't know exactly how we can engage. And, and part of the problem is because so many folks who do struggle with substance abuse, they, they might not see the problem or they might see it really clearly but have a lot of shame about it. And either way, they're not going to want to receive help from you. Are you tracking with me? So trying to have that conversation will be prickly 10 ways and we don't want to have it, so we just, we withdraw, we isolate or I'll share a true story from my own life. There's a man, and I won't tell you what community he's in, but I do know that some of you know this man, homeless gentleman, and he's often visible. And on several occasions, I've tried to serve him. And so a few times, I've, I've purchased meals for him. I've, I've kind of gone out of my way to provide some finance for him and and just care for him and each time I try to engage with him I really try to care for his heart not just the physical need but j- I just try to engage his heart a little bit so I'm always asking his name asking about his family asking about maybe some needs that I can pray for and if he'd be interested in some of the resources at Overlake Christian Church I try you know sensitively but I try to get more of the story out from him as I'm trying to to do something kind for him and trying to meet a need that he seems to have and and each time I've engaged with him he launches into some it's the best described as a complaint rant about how everything's wrong in his life and how this thing that I've just done for him is nowhere near enough for what he needs and and it, it just it's a diatribe that just builds and builds and builds and and it kind of boxes out any di- it's not a dialogue it's just a monologue i receive from him and i just want you to know i kind of think that there's some mental issue there and i think that there's challenges that he faces so i'm actually not trying to run him down at all in this moment i'm simply letting you know that i walk away from those experiences not thinking to myself that was an awesome time i'm so glad i did that Pastor feels so great today. You know, that's not what happens. Instead, I just kind of walk. I, I walk out feeling depressed and, and discouraged. And oh, buddy, you got so many needs, and I, you don't even. It doesn't even seem like there's willingness to engage. And gosh, I wouldn't even know how to help you in your context. And 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 I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying that it, it becomes messy in that moment. And what's my temptation to step away? My temptation is to isolate and just kind of remove myself a little bit because that was hard and it didn't feel great. It was uncomfortable. It was difficult for me to love him in that moment. And so I want to not experience that again. And whose will would I do if I isolate? See, it's not God's will for me to not love my neighbor it's, it's not God's will for me not to love a difficult person to love, but it is the enemy of God's. And so I, I've got to think, who, who, am I, who am I identifying with in this moment? If I, if I just do what's easy, if I just withdraw, if I just love the people that are easy to love, then I'm missing what God is calling me to do. I'm, I'm failing my job description. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. So we know that God desires for us to love, to love our neighbor, to love the stranger, to love our family and friends, obviously, but also to love our enemy, to love the difficult person to love. And that's the model that Jesus set. And so that's a challenge. And what I'm talking about to you today, it really is a challenge. You know, what Jesus did, we've covered this again, we'll cover it again, but what Jesus did is he boiled it all down. That's why I love him so much. Because he boiled it all down. There were 600-some commandments in the Old Testament. Of course, there were 10 major commandments, you know, stone commandments from Moses, the 10 commandments. And Jesus took all of the commandments and all the laws and all the, the prescriptions of the Old Testament, and he boiled it all down to a single verb and two commands. And the single verb is love. And the two commands are love God and love people. And I just want to confess to you, friends, it is so simple for us to get here, and it is so difficult for us to live out here, but that's the call. And that's the challenge. And I know so many of us are picking up that challenge. So many of us are, are really encouraging one another. Life groups are doing this. That so many of our ministries are really taking this up as a mantle and running with it. And Overlake, you can be proud because so much of what we're already accomplishing in Blessing My City is doing exactly that. So I want to transition our conversation for just a few moments to one of the ways that this is happening at Overlake right now. A way that we're blessing our city through caring for students. And that is a high school called Eastside Academy. And some of you, you didn't even know that over Lake, we house a high school called Eastside Academy. Eastside Academy is this amazing high school. It has two campuses, and one of those campuses are, is immediately behind this wall. And this is a high school where uh, students, for whatever reason, might be getting lost in the conventional forms of education. Maybe that's because they're coming out of homeless situations. Maybe it's because their parents were wrestling with substance or other abuse issues. Maybe it's because students are dealing with addiction or depression in their own right. But it's also for students who need just a bit more assistance in finding their way through these high school years and finding their own unique voice. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to introduce the director of uh, the Overlake campus of Eastside Academy to you. This is Michael Yu, and he's going to introduce you to one of his friends. Would you welcome him this morning? Come on up, you guys. Very glad to have you
1: here.
2: Thanks, Mike. Good morning, Overlake. Thank you for... Having us here today. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for the partnership that we have with Overlay Christian Church. We are so appreciative of that. Uh, we are really thankful for your support. And uh, we are so, just so glad to have the opportunity to be in front of you today. And uh, before I introduce Johnny, I just want to say uh, what a privilege it is uh, to be up here with one of our students. It's truly a privilege to serve them. Uh, It's an honor to be up here. It's a humbling experience. Uh, So as Johnny uh, shares his story with us today, uh, I just want to let him know that I really appreciate him being up
1: here. So go ahead, Johnny. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Johnny. I'm a sophomore at Eastside Academy, and I'm excited to share my story so that other kids can hear about what the school is like and how it's helped me. I was born in Mexico and I lived there for two years and then I moved up to California. I lived in California until I was five and then my family and I moved up here because my dad saw more opportunities for us. Uh, When I think of elementary school, I don't remember having many friends. I don't really remember much else about it. It was just something I did for six hours a day. I lost a lot of social skills and got got cut off from people during that time. Um, in middle school, I didn't have the support I needed from my teachers. I wasn't motivated to, to do anything. Academically, I was doing really bad. I didn't have motivation to do anything. But whenever I moved up a grade, I always thought it was a new opportunity, a chance to meet new people, to make new friends. So I looked forward to ninth grade. Uh, but my grades were even worse than in middle school. I was skipping classes and completely blowing everything off. I became a lot less caring about my grades than the year before and had even less motivation. I had all D's and F's. The school was pretty bad, the influences, the people. I couldn't really stand some of the things that I heard in the halls. It made things really depressing. We're so young and we're thinking about these things. Sometimes I just didn't want to see some of the people's, people in my classes, so I would skip. Uh, my parents definitely didn't like what was happening. They just put the role on me as the son with bad grades who skips classes and got suspended. My ninth grade year was also the first year I came out as gay. Uh, things got even more difficult, but I still had support from close friends who understood what I was going through. My older sister started attending Eastside Academy that year. Before, she was doing stuff like me, but as at Eastside Academy, she just loved the people. Everyone was so caring and everything was so laid back. Her grades skyrocketed. I wanted a second chance like her. My GPA was so low my ninth grade year that if I didn't do something drastic, I knew it wouldn't change. At the end of my ninth grade year, I looked into Eastside Academy and set up my first meeting. At my admissions interview, I was really nervous, but Josh and Michael were so nice. Uh, I only saw my sister in the halls for two seconds, and she was laughing and smiling. The environment was really happy. I chose to come to Eastside Academy because I wanted self-improvement, because of the people at my school, and because I wanted a second chance on my grades. Thankfully, it was my choice. I have now been on the honor roll for the first three quarters of the year. Um, all of the students and staff are so supportive, and I have two mentors that are really good at giving me advice when I need it. Um, I used to think there was no way that I could get through some of the things that I was going through, but now I have the support of so many people here. The counselors and recovery program are a huge part of the school. You get closer to everyone on a more personal level, and getting to talk to someone one-on-one opens up different places in your mind, and it's helped me focus a thousand times better. And because of Michael and my counselor Wayne and my recovery teacher Josh, I've had help on my path to getting to know God better and exploring my faith. One year ago, I was just dragging my body around to my classes. I always knew that if I stayed there, I would not have been able to do better. Now I'm looking forward to a lot more self-improvement, keeping my grades how they are or better, and then go off to college and hopefully become a counselor. If there's things you're struggling with or just really need help academic-wise or you just need more support, definitely go to Eastside Academy. A student would never find a school more supportive than Eastside Academy. I would would want every teenager to know, even when things are looking really glum, there's still hope for a better life. There's still people out there who can help, and thankfully, I found some really amazing ones. I'm still struggling with some things today, but they're getting better. Thank you for letting me share my story today.
2: Thanks, Johnny. Your support is what allows us to serve a student like Johnny. And so today, uh, after service, Johnny and I, along with uh, the rest of our staff, will be in the hallway. And we just invite you to stop by. Uh, Pastor Mike will share some other ways she can get involved and support us. But we would love for you to stop by and just talk to you more if you have any questions. We'd love to answer them for you. Uh, so thank you again for having us here today.
0: All right, let's show some school spirit, everybody! Come on, Eastside Academy. Well done, you guys. That was great. That was great. Listen, I um, I'm guessing that you know families with students who may be struggling just a little bit, or maybe you're in your family, you have uh, students, or you're here, you are a student who's struggling a, a little bit, or you know somebody who is. I, I just would encourage you, kind of keep. Eastside Academy in mind in your conversations as you care for your parish and your neighborhood because it is an incredible school. There is so much uh, life transformation. There's so much hope and encouragement that is offered in Eastside Academy. So please keep that in mind and refer, uh, refer others to Eastside Academy if you think that it might be something that would be helpful for them. What I'd love to do, Overlake, you know, uh, Michael mentioned just a moment ago that Overlake, we are trying to get our arms around Eastside Academy and really love and care for, serve and support this high school, its, its staff, and its students. So if you would, right now, would you grab your connection card out of your handout? I just want to show you some of the action items, because we have de- developed today to, to be a day where every single one of us can respond in some way, shape, or form. Different levels of responding, but we want everyone to respond and and to just uh, kind of get our, again, our minds, our care arms around Eastside Academy. And you'll notice the first couple of action items on the back of the card are about spiritual decisions that we make. And every week, folks make decisions to trust Christ for the first time or to come back maybe to a relationship with Jesus after being away for a while. We celebrate that. We, we just want to encourage you in your faith journey. So if that's what's going on in your heart today, go ahead and check one of those top two boxes. But the next few boxes, you can see, they're, they're all referencing East Side Academy, and, and so I do want you to know they're going to be available in the hallway. We, several folks from the first service stopped and talked and responded. I'd love if, if everyone would think about stopping and connecting with Eastside Academy. But a few ways specifically, you could check the box that talks about student of the month program. And what this is is a way where every month you'll receive a little info. There'll be a picture of a student who goes to the Overlake campus and then a little bit about what it is that they're going through in their life. It's a perfect opportunity for you to put that picture up on your refrigerator, put it up on your bulletin board or somewhere in your life where you, every time you see that picture, you can begin to pray for that student, pray for that student's family, pray for the way in which education is happening in that student's life at Eastside Academy. And it's simply a way for us, again, to begin to care and support the students of the school that we have here on our campus. Um, there is a financial ask as well in that. It's, a, it's really similar to the way World Vision or Compassion does their sponsorship. So it's just a small donation every month that we would make, but it's in order to provide for the educational setting that cares for these students. So that's what Student of the Month is. The next one is our Eastside Academy 5K that we host here around our campus. And it's not a joke. It's not just a name for the walk that you took when you parked your car and walked into this room uh, it, it, it's a real race and, and uh, I've been privileged to run it many years many of you know that I, I run it with my my youngest son Doozy he and I kind of run this race together it's one of our daddy son things. But I do want you to know that we want you involved, whether it's as a walker, a runner. Maybe you want to roll. You can roll however you want to roll. Uh, We need volunteers for that. And even just support in terms of making the thing happen. And so I do want you to know that it was very strategic that we walked through March Wellness just two months ago. Right? To get all of us more in sort of, uh, understanding of how we steward our bodies and our minds and our souls before God so that we can all handle a 5K. All right? So uh, here's the deal. I, I, just by show of hands, and I really hope this service beats the last service. How many of you think that you are in a place where you could support by walking or running or you know, gliding a 5K? How many of you could show up and make that happen? Raise your hand. Uh, am I going to have to teach March wellness again? Uh, OK, so uh, my prayer is that we can all kind of get our arms around that. And then lastly, I do just want you to know, Eastside Academy is looking for uh, volunteers. They're looking for, I just talked to Rosie, one of our dear saints at Overlake. She shows up on Fridays. She is the goody lady for the students. She shows up with home, home-baked treats every Friday, and the students love her, and she loves them. And uh, so it could be something as simple as that. They're always looking for prayer partners. There are a few students that need mentors. Several of you are already investing in students in a mentorship way, but there is a need for some more mentors, and in general, just support families to come alongside of, of this incredible school. So our prayer is that all of us could respond in some way, shape, or form as we try to care for the students of Eastside Academy, because that exists to care for the hurting students in our communities, okay? Okay. In fact, that's where I want to land this plane. I, I just want you to sort of picture it from God's perspective. As he looks down on your city, as he looks down on your neighborhood, as he thinks about all the communities that are on the east side and in Seattle, you know, are there students who feel lost, maybe confused? Maybe they don't have the vision to see clearly the road ahead. And does God want to love them tangibly? Yeah, he does. Are there students, perhaps young people in our communities who feel that they're oppressed somehow, that they're in, in a form of bondage, that, that they don't have the liberty that Jesus desires for them? Yeah, there are. And, and they need a tangible way to receive that care. You know, are, are there those in our community, young, actually, and not so young, who they still are a little bit confused about the unique place that God has them in and the unique voice that God has given them? And they really struggle with feelings of non-value and, and maybe even depression. Are there those in our communities? Absolutely, there are. And God desires for you and I to care for our parish. The job description that we would have is that we would labor on behalf of those in our communities, that we would pray, lift up to the Lord. We would pray for our neighborhoods, pray for our communities, pray for our our cities, and that we would pray that God would bless them, We want the very best for our, our neighborhoods, for our communities, because what does God say? Because God says, as they prosper you will prosper. In their welfare is your welfare. Friends, God's heart is a good heart, and he loves you, and he loves your neighbors, and he loves your community. So let's not let the enemy derail us and get us sidetracked off our job description. But over like, let's go after it with all our hearts. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for Michael and his work with Eastside Academy. We want to thank you for Johnny and the transformative work that's, that's happening in his heart, even right now, the way that he is encouraging others with his story. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, we ask that you would show us how that we would respond to you. We know you love us. We know you came, and and so many of us have the story that you're the one who proclaimed good news to our hearts. We thought we were disenfranchised and on the outs with God, and you're the one who wrapped your arms around us. So many of us have the story where we were blind at some point in our life, and you gave us the vision to see that we have value in God's eyes, that that we are loved, that we are cherished, and, and you showed us the path forward. So many of us have the story where we were oppressed or broken, and you brought healing, and you brought justice, and and we're so thankful for that. And Jesus, we don't want to just receive from you. We do want to receive from you, but not just. We want to actually take what we receive from you and then offer it to our neighborhood, to our city, to our parish that you've placed us in. We love you, Lord Jesus. My prayer is that you would show us more and more and more how we might respond and how we might bless the cities that you have planted us in. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.